0: Jesus is speaking here. He's teaching some things to His disciples. He says, Now learn a parable. When his branches is, <coughs> is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation Shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day, and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in children, uh, giving in marriage. "...until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come." Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord, open our eyes to this truth. Help us to live with eternity in view. May we be diligent, serving and laboring for You, doing all the things that You've given us in Scripture as Christians to do. May we live a life that is holy and pure. May we find the morality of Your law in our hearts. May they be engraved upon us. May we live them daily. May we have a life of separation and purity and holiness that we can point men to You, that we can be salt that has not lost its savor, that we can be a light that is not hid under a bushel, that we can be a city that is set upon a hill, and that we can be able to point men to You and bring glory to You through our lives. We pray that You'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find here that Jesus is speaking to His disciples about the fact that He's going to come again. And he, he speaks of these things, and he says in verse number uh, thirty-four, verse number thirty-three, he says, "So likewise, when you see uh, shall see these things, know that it is near, even at the doors." And on the heels of that verse, he says, "Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words." Shall not pass away. So there's going to come a time where we're going to know that it's getting close. But then he makes this statement in verse number 36 But of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The only person that knows when the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to happen is the Heavenly Father. He's the one that has that time scale in hand. Now, up until a number of years ago, the last uh, probably 50 or 60 years, there were still several prophecies that were yet to be fulfilled. As we stand here in 2021, there are now no longer any prophecies of Scripture that need to happen prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that's next on the prophetic uh, calendar of things, according to Scripture, is the return. And it's imminent. It's, it's, it's on its way. It's going to happen. And the truth of the matter is, God has chosen in His infinite wisdom to not let us know when that's going to be. Wouldn't that be wonderful if, uh, if we could know when that was going to be? I remember as a kid, um, I have an older sister. How many of you have an older sister? Bless your hearts. Amen. I have an older sister. And growing up, for whatever reason, my mom and dad... always made her the boss of me. I don't know if it was because I was hyper or showed poor decision-making in my young life, but uh, for whatever reason, they felt my sister could make better choices than I could. And whenever they were gone from the house, they would put her in charge. One of the other things my mom and dad learned at an early age, uh, for me anyway, was they never told me when they were coming back. There was a reason for that. Because I lived in fear of Dad's belt, and I lived in fear of the punishment that would come. And I did not want to be doing the very thing that my sister, I already knew, was going to be accusing me of when they walked in the door. I wanted to make sure that I was behaving. And they learned, I'm not going to tell Greg when we're coming home, because I want him to live with the expectation that, that door could open at any moment and I tell you this God in his infinite wisdom knew that we were human in flesh uh, fleshly desires and fleshly thoughts and the old battle with the flesh nature and he chose not to tell us when he was coming back but he did give us some hints and said when these things happen know that the time's getting close it's getting close these guys that write books uh, it's amazing to me how, how uh, these books sometimes even made it to the New York Times bestseller list of why God's going to return, and, and they have a date or a, a month set or a year set, and uh, they get to be New York Times bestsellers until the date comes. And then you can't give them away. I told somebody the other day, I said, if I was smart, I'd write a book on why the Lord is going to return in the next 12 months. That would be the title of the book. And that way, it would always be in date. Because from the time you read the book, in the next twelve months, it would. So, <laughs> that's a good way to word that. I might make the New York Times bestsellers. The truth is, we don't know when the Lord's going to return. He has not chosen to make that information available to us, but He did give us some clues. He gave us some hints. He said, "Listen, I, I want you to be watching some things." He said, "When you see some things happen, you, you know the time's getting near. It's getting near." The parable that he shares here of the fig tree and the fact that the generation would not pass away I believe is in reference to uh, some things prophetically with the nation of Israel. There's a lot of discussion whether that included them coming back and becoming a nation back in the uh, middle of last century uh, and would that generation then uh, be a part of this. I I don't know. And I I won't go into all of that detail because I know that there's some supposition in some of those things. One thing that I do know is that the Bible tells us as it was in the days of Noah. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So I began to start thinking, I wonder what it was like in the days of Noah. The Bible tells us these things, doesn't it? He talks about the fact as we get down to verse number 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, I want you to understand this. Men have been eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage since the beginning of time, haven't they? The reference is not to the specific events that are given there, but as to the fact that their whole attention was given to these things. That there was no thought, there was no consideration of eternal things. But that their minds, from the moment they would wake up in the morning until the time that they would go to bed at night, was wholly given to these issues. I was doing some reading this week, um, <coughs> and uh, hopefully going to be sharing a message here uh, very soon. Um, on um, uh, oh, my brain just went dead. You ever had that happen? That's thanks to COVID for that. Got a brain fog. Um, give me a second. It's coming. It's almost there. Matthew four, five, and six. I know it's in that uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, man, my brain just went dead, and I even wrote some notes about it last night. I'll tell you what that message is next week when we get back to church. But I will say this. Uh, as we get to this thing of, of uh, Noah and uh, the times that we are living in, uh, the Bible says that they were wholly given to these things. They were given in marriage. Uh, they were eating drinking, making merry. Uh, and it says that, that until the day that Noah entered into the ark... and. And you say, well, Brother Greg, how do you know that that's dealing with the fact that they're not considering eternity? Because of the next verse. It says this in verse number 39, in in using the picture of Noah. And knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the times that we live in, where men's minds do not think of the fact that God's coming back, but the fact that there's a, a, a life to live. Eat, drink, be merry, take your ease, enjoy life. Uh, There's a a well-known religious leader of the United States of America that many people look to for religious guidance that, that has written a book and preaches messages on having your best life now. Can I tell you this? I'm thankful that this is not going to be my best life. I don't care how good it gets. There's something far greater ahead of me. I don't need my best life now. I need my best life when I get to the Lord Jesus Christ and spend eternity with Him. But the idea is that you can enjoy eating and drinking. And, and, and in fact, you need to be wealthy. God's will is for you to be wealthy. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I couldn't find it in Scripture anywhere. But according to this fellow, that's what it is. By the way, any time that the man disagrees with the Bible, there's only one of them that's always wrong. That is the man. For us to say that God's will is for everybody to be wealthy, what about the the men and the women down through the years that died martyrs' death and lost their fortunes for the cause of Christ? Certainly, these teachings are not of God and they're not of His Word. But there's a time that the Bible speaks of here. A time that's going to be like the time of Noah. A time where the people are going to be thinking simply of living their best life now. And God says when you see that time happen, it's getting close. Can I tell you this? We're living in a day where more and more our country is more focused on the enjoyment of life than they are on eternal matters. The sad fact of the matter is, a large number of religious people today live more focused on the affairs of this life than they are by living with eternity in view. What a sad state. If you will, take your Bible turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number 5. It's interesting that God uses this illustration of the time of Noah. And in Genesis chapter number 5, something takes place prior to the time of Noah that I think is a wonderful picture. The, the, the picture of uh, Noah and the flood and the ark is certainly a wonderful picture of the salvation that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact of the coming judgment of God, the fact that there needs to be faith put in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone for our salvation. In Genesis chapter number 5, I find a a unique part of this story that I think is something that ought to be encouraging to Christians. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 21. The Bible says, "...And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years." And Enoch walked with God, and notice this phrase, and he was not, for God took him. It doesn't say he died. All of the rest of them says that they lived 180 years old, or uh, 900 years old, or 800 years old, and they died, and they died, and they died, until we get to Enoch. And then we get to Enoch, and it says that God took him, and he was not. Uh, This happened before the judgment of God on the world through a worldwide flood. This happened before the time of Noah. And can I tell you this, that there, there certainly are indications in the world that we live in today that we are quickly getting to the times or to the, 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 the type of civilization that was around during the time of Noah. And can I encourage you in something? You and I, if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, I think a wonderful Old Testament picture of this is the fact that Enoch walked with God and was not. There's going to come a moment before the judgment of God comes on this earth where he's going to come and find those that are his and they're going to go up. They're not going to have to go through death. They're going to be raptured out of this place. You say, Brother Greg, where does the Bible tell us that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn over to First Thessalonians. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. I love this one. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. I want to help you with something. And once you get to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, look up there for just a second, because I want to try to help you with something. The intent of knowing the plans of God with regards to the end times, the intent that God had in Scripture was not to create fear in the hearts of men. That was not the intent. You you, you will find that as we get to the end of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. Let's look, if you will, in verse number 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. So he's writing here to the Christians. He's writing here to those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. They are referred to here in Scripture as brethren. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, the word asleep here is referring to the folks that had preceded them in death. You know why God refers to them as being asleep? You remember when Lazarus died? And he said, he sleepeth. And the people thought, oh, I don't understand. And then he had to clarify that and say he's dead. You know why Jesus referred to him being asleep? Because they're not dead. <laughs> their, their physical body may be, but they're alive. They're in the presence of the Lord. It's interesting to me that only a Christian can say these types of things where it says that these uh, brethren are asleep. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, notice this, and I've heard people use this verse to say, well, we shouldn't sorrow when a brother or sister dies. That's not what the verse says. It doesn't tell us not to sorrow. It tells us not to sorrow as others which have no hope. Sorrow is going to come because we love one another. If anyone in this church passes before I do, I'm going to have great sorrow. But I'm not going to sorrow like others which have no hope. Because I know there's going to come a day where I'm going to be reunited with them and I'll see them again. I can live with the idea in mind and with great comfort in my heart that they are not suffering the judgment of God, but they're enjoying the mercy of God. Paul tells us not to sorrow as others which have no hope. The tears are fine, but let's not be... Considered the same as those that sorrow which have no hope. For if we believe, verse number 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. That's how we know that these are the ones who have preceded us in physical death. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, Anytime you see a phrase like this, sit up and pay particular attention. God is speaking here. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And this word prevent means to come before them, be resurrected ahead of me. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, that that to a Christian is exciting. The, The understanding of the time of Christ coming and taking those that have trusted Him as their Savior out of this world before the judgment comes is of great comfort. Paul says it this way in verse 18, Wherefore? based on what He just said. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I've had probably a half a dozen people in the last two or three months say, boy, I know I'm reading Revelation, I'm trying to understand the end times, I'm seeing things happen. Pastor, are we going to be here? No. There may be some persecution that happens before then, but the time of the tribulation period that takes place where God begins to pour His wrath out on the world, you and I will not be here. We're going to be just like Enoch. We're going to be taken out before the judgment comes. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. We have escaped the wrath of God, and we have gained the love of God. Can I, can I encourage you in this? That's not something to be fearful of. That's something to be comforted in. That's something to rejoice in as a Christian. There's a couple things I want us to look at here. Turn with me to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Let's go back to verse number 6 for a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. Acts of the Apostles. I don't like the title of that. That was not the inspired part of Scripture. I believe that a more fitting title would have been Acts of the Holy Spirit in the disciples or through the disciples. But I will say this, that as we get down through the first part of the book of Acts, it picks up at the end of Christ ascending back into heaven. Uh, Look in verse number two for a minute. Uh, Let's back it. We'll just read it from verse one. It's not that far. The former treatise have I made with the of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, through the Holy Ghost, uh, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So, verse number two is dealing with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ after he had died, was buried, rose again, and appeared to his disciples, and he was taken up. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. "...being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel?" And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, notice this phrase, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is from Jerusalem a the Sabbath day's journey. I want you to notice a couple things here. Number one, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to take us out of this world is certain. I heard one preacher say it this way. It is more certain than death. You say, Pastor, how can it be more certain than death? Because there are some people who won't experience death. They're going to be raptured out of this place. There's going to be some that are still alive and remain. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ is so certain in Scripture that it is more certain than death. Jesus told the angels to give a message to those that were watching the Lord Jesus Christ go up into the clouds in the air, and they said, as you have seen Him go, He's going to come in like manner. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. That He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to come with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. I'll tell you this, I'm looking forward to the shout. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I'll say this, it'll be heard through the whole earth. That's a pretty, that's a pretty amazing shout, isn't it? The trump of God that's going to sound. I, I don't know what it's going to sound like, but it's going to be sounded through the whole earth. I'm thankful and I'm looking forward to the day that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. And this isn't something I hope is going to happen. This is something that I know and am certain is going to happen. It's something that I have to look forward to as a a child of God, as someone who has put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I live daily looking forward to the time that God is going to come back and take us out of this world. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it. I'm not telling you today what I think. I'm telling you what the Bible says. John chapter number 14, if you will turn over there with me. I love this verse and oftentimes use it when I'm doing funerals as a source of comfort and grace and encouragement to the family. John chapter number 14 and verse number 1. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, these end time events are not here to instill fear. They are here to instill comfort. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm thankful God's honest with us, aren't you? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? You ever been there before, like Thomas? God says, You ought to know this. He said, Lord, I don't know it. So he reveals it to us. Thomas said, I don't know where you're going, Lord. How can I know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One door and only one. There's only one way to heaven. These folks that get out here and say, well, all roads lead to Christ. No, they don't. There's one. Well, as long as as you're sincere, God will take that into consideration, though. There were a lot of sincere people who stood before Him that He spoke of when He said, In that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name cast out devils? Very sincere and religious people. And He'll say unto them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because while they were outwardly religious, they had never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were trusting their outward works, what they could do to make it to heaven. Can I encourage you in something today? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ is certain. It's going to happen. It's a finished truth. It's something that is not ever even discussed in Scripture as wondering if it's going to happen or not. It is established. God has promised it. God has stated it. God has said it's going to be true. If, if the coming of Christ is certain, then when's it going to be? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. God did not choose to reveal that to us. There's two things I want us to understand here before we get to our third point. Number one, his return is certain. Number two, we don't know when it's going to happen. And that helps us to understand very clearly the third point, and that is this. We are to be watching for it. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter number 25, and verse number 13. In Matthew, chapter 25, we find uh, some parables that He gives. He speaks of... Uh, a marriage that's going to take place, and there are ten virgins that are going to be part of the wedding party. Now, understanding Jewish culture, the way that a marriage took place in the Old Testament was once a husband and a man and, and a lady were espoused, they were in what we would call today an engagement, they were under a marital contract at that point, and there was a uh, something that was not even then supposed to be broken except for the fact that, Uh, Sometimes there was uh, some sin involved or some other uh, thing like that. And uh, so we find that uh, this bridegroom then, once the engagement took place, would begin to prepare the place that he and his new bride were going to be living. And the one that had to approve when when that time came was the father of the bridegroom. He would inspect the home and make sure that all things were ready. Once everything was ready and the the father of the bridegroom was set and said, "I, I, I give approval, everything's good, you've prepared everything the way it should, he would tell the bridegroom, you can go and get your bride. When that took place, many times it would happen at all different hours of the day or night. When that took place, the bridegroom would assemble uh, a uh, uh, an entourage, a parade, if you will, a celebration, musicians and singers and people that were cheering, and they would march down the streets and they would go to the bride's house and the bridegroom would take his bride. Now, there were some that were part of the wedding party and they would be with the bride waiting. And these were the virgins that are spoken of here in Matthew chapter 25. Some of them had uh, the oil for their lamps and some of them did not, meaning they could see or not see the light the way. And when they came, the bridegroom came, that he found that some of them were ready, some of them were not. This parable is given in chapter 25 to show us that the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, one day is going to come for his bride. And there are going to be some that are ready, some that are not. There are going to be some that have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them because they've put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are going to be some who do not. And as we come down to verse number 13, let's, let's back up a little bit. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and go to verse number 6, just so we can see this. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. You see how they addressed him in verse 11? Lord, Lord. A lot of religious people. They get involved in going to church, doing good deeds, trying to live a good life. They say, I believe in God. They never put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Verse 13, he says, Watch therefore. For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. say, Brother Greg, why in the world did God not see fit to put us in the know about when He's coming. Why did He not tell us the day and the hour? The answer to that is found in verse 13. Because, uh, because He wants us to watch. He wants us to watch. I have two questions for the those that are here today and would say, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I'm ready to go to heaven. I've put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I have two questions for those that are here today that would say, Pastor, the truth is if Christ came back right now, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I've never put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to address that one first. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you say, I I don't know if I can put my faith in Him. I don't know if I can trust Him with my soul. I don't know if I can trust Him to forgive me of my sin and give me a home in heaven for eternity. My question to you is this. Number one. Are you ready if he were to return today? Are you ready? And if your answer is no, then my question is, when will you be ready? Because when the bridegroom comes and he takes the bride, the Bible says the door is closed. And when those that... Understood what had happened, came and began to knock on the door. Let us in. He said, I don't know. You. You're here today. You've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My question is: when? we don't know the day and we don't know the hour. In recent days and in recent months, there have been nights that I've gone to bed disappointed that He didn't come today. That's how sure I am that He is coming soon. And the thing I struggle with the most is that when that happens, some will be ready. Some will not. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know. I'm not ready. My question is when? When are you going to be ready? If I was lost and I knew the things that I know from Scripture now, I wouldn't wait. For Christians, those that say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I have two questions for you. Number one, are you ready? He said, Brother Greg, I'm ready. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. You know, the Bible tells us that those of us that are saved will stand and give an account to God for what we've done in our bodies to serve Him, to labor for Him in this life. I wonder... If I had to stand before God before this day is over, would I stand there ashamed knowing that I had not done what God had asked me to do? Would I stand there and say, There are friends of mine that I've not shared the gospel with? There are family members, there are neighbors, there are co workers there are acquaintances that I have not shared the gospel with. My question is, are you ready? And if you sit here today and say, Pastor, I'm not. If God came back today while I would be saved, I would sure be embarrassed. And my question secondly is, when? when will you be ready? I don't know when He's coming back. could be today. I hope it is today. But oh, there's a burden on my heart. Because the truth is, I know that in some case in my life, I'm sure I could look into it and say there's some areas I'm not ready. I know that there are friends, family, acquaintances that I have, People I know that I have shared the gospel with, that they're not ready. When that moment comes, that moment that Paul spoke of in First Thessalonians chapter four, he told the church at Corinth that it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I was in college. And I found an article one day. I was reading on it. That phrase, twinkling of an eye, is, was looked at by some engineers, some Christian engineer that worked uh, for GE Electric. He felt like he could define that as the time that it takes for light to, to reflect off of the surface of the eye and bounce back. And with his whatever engineering degrees and physics degrees, he tried to calculate that as best he could. And he came out with a number, and I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it was a number as a fraction. It was a number on top of a large number with a lot of zeros beneath it. That portion of one second what He measured to be the twinkling of an eye. An instant. For us to sit here and say, well, when that happens, when I start to see Him come in the sky, then I'll I'll cry out to Him and I'll put my faith in Him. Folks, it's an instant. It comes suddenly. It comes like a thief in the night. You don't expect Him. In such a time as we think not, the Son of Man cometh. About the time we think, I've got so many things to do in this life. That's when it will happen. No time to think about it. No time to prepare. My question, both to the lost and to the saved, are you ready? And if not, when will you be ready? I think both questions are ones that you and I must ponder. Ponder. We must weigh, we must think about, and meditate on every single day. Am I ready? And if not, when will I be ready? Let's stand together, shall we? <coughs> With heads bowed, please. I, I don't. I don't intend to utilize this truth any differently than Scripture. I, I don't mean to try to cause somebody to be fearful. My prayer, my hope is that it will comfort us. It will cause our hearts to be comforted by it. In order for it to be a comfort to us, we've got to be ready. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, when He was expressing this and teaching on it, He said, Wherefore, watch ye, I don't think you have to go through life with your physical eyes looking up at the skies all the time, although I don't know that that would hurt. But I would say this, the term watching means to live life with eternity in view. Let's not be like those...